two of our Advent series that we're calling Light of the World. And uh, one of the great reminders of this season is that Jesus came uh, as a light who has, already has, overcome any darkness that we experience in our lives. And uh, that's where we started last week. And so if you missed out on that, you can either catch up on uh, Facebook or, or our, our, C, our Connecting Point app. And uh, we encourage you to do that. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on one character in the Christmas story. And this particular character is... Uh, is, is the one whom most consider to be kind of the villain of the Christmas story. Any guesses who that might be? You all knew. Wow, this is a smart crowd. Uh, yeah, Herod is considered to be uh, the villain, and, and hopefully this will become clear as we go along. But I believe that unfortunately, uh, there, there, there is a little bit, just a little bit of Herod in each of us. Hopefully that'll become more clear as we go along. But I want to begin just by giving you a little background on this guy, Herod. We all know a little bit about him, uh, but he was a really interesting character. Herod was what was referred to as a client king. And a client king was somebody whose kingdom and rule were not sovereign. They were subject to somebody else. And in, in Herod's case, he was subject to the Roman Empire. They were the ones who had given him the power. They were the ones who had given him the title King of Judea or the King of the Jews. Uh, which is really interesting because even though some of Herod's ancestors had converted to Judaism, Herod wasn't even fully Jewish. And so this, this drove the Jewish people crazy. I mean, here they have this person that is called the king of the Jews, and he's not even fully a Jew. But in spite of all that, Herod had, uh, he had quite a reputation. Um, and, and aside from being you know, very politically astute, Herod was an extremely intelligent and talented person. And during his day, he had kind of built this reputation, first of all, for being extremely cruel and violent. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about more about that in a moment. But, but he was also known, and this is kind of what he was known for in his day, he was known to be an incredible builder. Uh, in fact, Herod was responsible for building a number of cities, uh, including the very important port city of Caesarea. Um, he, he, was, he was responsible in these cities. He built these very sophisticated aqueduct systems. But, but probably what he was most famous for was he was actually the one who had rebuilt the temple after it had been destroyed earlier by the Babylonians. And so, in, in many ways, Herod was this, he's this very interesting, very accomplished, extraordinary person, especially in regards to his talent and his intellect. His problem was, and this is what wound up getting him in trouble, his problem was that Herod was completely controlled by his insatiable desire to control. He was completely controlled by his desire to control. And, and this is where I believe that if we're not careful, there can exist a little bit of Herod in each of us. And, and, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at um, Herod's role in the Christmas story in just a moment. But before we get into the Bible part, can I just tell you my favorite Herod story? This is my favorite Herod story. And, and this story, it actually begins uh, with Julius Caesar. And, and some of you may remember studying this either in high school or maybe in a college uh, history class. Uh, but if so, you remember that Julius Caesar wound up being murdered by several of the members of the Roman Senate. Well, all that happened somewhere around 44 B.C., and after Julius Caesar died, his nephew, this guy by the name of Octavius, and Octavius's friend, a guy by the name of Marcus Antonius, who is better known as Mark Antony, um, not the singer who was married to J.Lo, that's a different guy, um, but, but Mark Antony, and um, Octavius and Mark Antony, they decided 
that it was up to them to avenge Octavius's uncle, Julius Caesar's death. And so what they did was they just kind of went on this mission and they began to destroy anybody and everybody who was even remotely associated or in their minds they thought to be associated with Caesar's death. And so as time goes by and they're wiping out all of their enemies, everybody begins to realize that, that after everything is said and done, after Octavius and Mark Antony, after they destroy all of their common enemies that eventually these two guys are going to wind up butting heads. Because, you know, after all, there can only be one sheriff in town, right? And so both of these guys are gaining power. They have all these common enemies, but they're wiping all of them out. And so um, as each of these guys, they, they eventually, they begin to separately gain more and more power. And as they do, they also, each of them separately, begin to gain the allegiance of certain Roman uh, troops, uh, portions of the Roman army. Now, now, here's where Herod comes in. Herod, he strategically makes this decision that he is going to create a very strategic alliance with Mark Antony. And, and, and Mark Anthony has this very famous wife, um, and she was from Egypt. You guys remember her name? It was what? Cleopatra. Yeah, you guys are, you guys are on it this morning. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the Roman citizens, they hated, 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 four times hated Cleopatra. I mean, they, they hated her. And the reason why was because they believed that she had an agenda, and her agenda was that she was going to eventually unite Egypt and Rome so that she could be the queen and gain power over everything. And so they hated her. But, but even though most of the Roman citizens hated Cleopatra, uh, King Herod, he continued his support for Mark Antony. And, and eventually, just like most people had predicted, a civil war breaks out between Octavius and Mark Antony. And unfortunately for Herod, he had been on the wrong horse because Octavius decisively defeats Mark Antony. And then Octavius eventually becomes uh, the ruler of the Roman Empire. He eventually becomes known as Caesar Augustus. He's the very first emperor of Rome. And so, so now here's Herod. He's in a bad position because he, he's back in Judea. He gets the word that his buddy Mark Antony has been defeated by Octavius, uh, who is now Caesar Augustus. And so Herod has three options. His options are this. Number one, he can just kill himself because eventually that's what's going to happen to him anyway because that's the way it worked in those days. If you supported an, an, an enemy regime and your regime was defeated, then everybody that supported that regime is wiped out, especially people of power, so that they can't rise up again against the new regime. regime. So you know, his first option is just get it out of the way and kill himself because the way that they would do it would probably not be you know, a favorable way to do it. And so his, his first option is just kill himself. Option number two is run, which eventually they'd probably find him anyway, and then they'd kill him. Or option number three is just, man, just hope by some strange just coincidence that maybe they would forget about you and forget about the support you had and just kind of ignore the fact that you supported another regime. Well, Herod, he's quite the character because, um, and, and you know, he's all about control. He's all about building and preserving his kingdom. He's all about, you know, preserving and establishing his legacy. And so he decides, he comes up with this brilliant idea, and he says, I'm not going to do any one of those three. Instead, what he does, and this is, this is really incredible, and, and especially incredibly gutsy, he actually gets on a boat and he sails to the island of Rhodes where he knows Caesar Augustus is. And, and he shows up and essentially he knocks on Caesar Augustus' door. And he says, um, yeah, is Caesar here? I'd like to talk to him. And, and everybody is like, when they see Herod doing this, everybody is like, dude, I mean, we'll give you this. Either you are incredibly stupid 
or you are incredibly brave. Because, I mean, here you are. We were just talking about you. You're an enemy of the state. And we, we were just talking about coming to get you. And yet here you are. You show up here. You know, you've come to us. And so we'll give it to you. If anything, you've got guts. Well, anyway, when Caesar Augustus hears that Herod, the king of Judea, the one who supported Mark Antony is here, on his doorstep, he's just blown away. And so he actually invites Herod in, and Herod winds up giving this spectacular speech in front of everybody, and essentially here is what he says. He says, Caesar Augustus, as you already know, I was a friend of Mark Antony. I, I was a friend of your enemy, and, and as you also know, I have been a loyal supporter of his from the very beginning. I mean, all throughout the Civil War, all the way to the very end. So if there's anything that you ought to know about me is this. When I pledge my loyalty to someone, I am loyal to them till the end, at least till they get defeated. <laughs> and he says, oh, by, by the way, great Caesar, what I really came to tell you is this is that you know I'm loyal to people till the end. I want you to know that I now pledge my loyalty to you. And, and believe it or not, Caesar Augustus, he bought it. You know, he's so impressed. Not only did he not execute Herod or take his kingdom away, he actually added to it. Uh, he actually adds to Herod's kingdom not only Judea, but also Samaria and Jericho and Gaza. And so, so this is King Herod in a nutshell. I mean, he's very politically astute. He's very crafty. He knows what to say. He knows what to do. Everything he's doing, he's calculating. How can I build my kingdom? How can I, how can I preserve myself? And so he's, he's this super bright guy who's politically astute. He's extremely ambitious. But the thing that gets him in trouble was that he is so committed I mean, he's extremely committed to his own control. He, he's committed to establishing his own legacy, his greatness, that he winds up making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. You know, that, that, that's what happens sometimes when we get so, you know, we get this tunnel vision. And all we can see is, man, I want that. I need that. This is who I, you know, I'm trying to build this. And so this is what happens to Herod. He ends up making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. First of all, he marries 10 different women. That's not a good idea, in case you were wondering. You know. he, he's married to all 10 of them at the same time. And he actually, he's married to 10, but he has one of them executed because she's nothing but trouble. And so he's got nine wives. And so, you know, who would have saw any trouble in that? But so, you know, he, he has these nine wives. And because of those relationships, he ends up having all of these sons. And the more sons that he has, he, he just keeps changing his will. I mean, every time he has a son, he, he, he decides every few years, you know, this son I picked, you know, he's not the right one to be the king. And so he'd have that son executed which is, that's a hard way out, man. But he'd have that son executed, and then he'd change his will, appointing another son to be his heir. And then eventually that son would do something to displease Herod in some way or another. And so um, he would have him executed, and he'd appoint another son, and then he'd get suspicious of that son, and he'd have that one executed. And after a while, all of the sons were like, Dad, really, it's okay. I mean, I don't even think I want to be king. So I'm hoping you'll appoint somebody else. Because Herod, he just keeps doing this over and over and over again. Because it's all about control. And, and Herod, he's really a ruthless guy. He had a reputation for being ruthless. And, and he's committed in, in all of this. The reason he's so ruthless is he's committed to one thing. And one thing alone, and that is that he and he alone would rule his kingdom. He was going to be in charge. He was the master of his destiny, that he was in control. And anybody who got in the way, 
of him growing his kingdom, establishing his legacy. Anybody who got in the way, they would regret in the end getting in the way of Herod the Great. And so now, this is just a little snapshot. You have a snapshot of who this guy Herod was. So now we're ready for the narrative of Jesus' birth. So, so King Herod now at this time, at the time of Jesus' birth, he's about 70 years old. He's very sick. He, he's, he's got a lung disease. He has these worms that had gotten into his heart. He has several sexually transmitted diseases. He has this very, very painful kidney disease. And so he's, he knows he's at the end of his life. And, and, and for the past 70 years, he's done everything he could to increase and consolidate his power. And, and by everything, I mean everything, which includes, you know, again, murdering friends and family and wives and, and children. And, and I mean, he's just done everything in an attempt to control his kingdom. And so now here he is. He's at the end of his life. And, and it looks like, from his perspective, after all that he's done, it looks like that his legacy will be exactly what he wanted it to be, that he will be remembered as Herod the great builder, Herod the king of Judea, Herod the king of the Jews. But then he gets some disturbing news. <laughs> all of a sudden, he learns that about, about five miles away, that there's this baby that has been born. And, and, and some, you know, they're talking about this baby that some say he has a royal lineage that goes all the way back to King David. In fact, some have given this little baby the title of King of the Jews. And Herod's like, That's my, I'm king. And now all of a sudden, the people are calling this little baby the King of the Jews? Here's how Matthew introduces the story. Listen to this. Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, uh, some of us grew up hearing wise men, so Magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they, the wise men, they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, now I want you just to imagine this for a moment. I mean, just imagine how this landed. I mean, here, here all of a sudden, these distinguished magi, we don't know how many they are, you know, the songs say three wise men. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there were three. There may have been 10, there may have been 20, there may have been uh, 40. We don't know. But, but all of a sudden, this procession of wise men from the east, they roll into the city of Jerusalem, and they start asking people this question. They're saying, hey, we heard that there's a new king that has been born. He's the king of the Jews. Can anybody tell us where we can find this new king of the Jews? And all the people in Jerusalem, they're like, shh, man, because they know Herod. <laughs> and they know the way that Herod responds to any threat to his kingdom. But the wise men, they don't know Herod. And so, you know, they're like, man, we came to Jerusalem because this is the capital city and, and we know we're close. They, so he, they say, where is the one that has been born the king of the Jews? I mean, we saw his star, they said, when it rose and we have come to worship him. Matthew goes on. He says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And then listen to this. Because it says, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, now, you know, now that we know a little background on Herod, we can understand why when Herod was disturbed, everybody else had a reason to be disturbed as well. I mean, when Herod was disturbed, things got dangerous. And so Matthew continues, he says, when he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Again, I want you to imagine this because, you know, whenever, whenever you got called to stand before the king, um, especially if you were a Jew, you had a reason to be afraid. Uh, earlier, he had, uh, there was an incident where he had like, I think, 70 or 80 priests and rabbis executed just because, you know, they had done something to offend him. 
And so he calls these people, these religious leaders, and so they're nervous, they're afraid, and he calls all of these people who've got any kind of religious insight, and he calls them into this one meeting, and he asks them where the Messiah is to be born, Matthew says. And I'm sure that as Herod asked this question, these guys, they've got to be thinking, you know, dude, you ought to know this. I mean, after all, you are the king of the Jews, And so you ought to know this because every little Jewish boy knows this. Every little Jewish boy learns this passage from the Old Testament. Matthew goes on, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And this is what every good Jewish person has memorized. This was their hope. And this is the scripture, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew goes on. He says, Then Herod, after hearing this, Herod, he called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So now he knows by the time of the appearing of the star how old approximately this new king or supposed king is going to be. And then Herod sent them to Bethlehem. And he says, hey, you know, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah, right. Well, after this, after they had heard the king, Matthew says that the Magi, they went on their way And the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they, the Magi, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And and, and I want you to to listen to what they did. They, They saw this child with his mother, Mary. And Matthew says, that their response was they bowed down and they worshipped him. That, that, that word worship. I, I, I'm afraid that in the modern church, we, we've lost the true meaning of that word. I mean, we, 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 we've, in some ways, we've made that word worship synonymous with singing, Right? I mean, this is the time of worship, and then we take an offering, and then we do a sermon, but the worship is when we sing. And, and, and listen, you know, while, while we can worship by singing, the truth is that we can sing without worshiping. Worship is not singing. In fact, you want to know what, what true worship is? True worship is simply when we, we recognize that we are in the presence of someone that should cause us to be in awe. <laughs> but when we recognize that we're actually in the presence of one that, that should inspire within us kind of an, an awe and, and wonder, and then, and then worship is essentially doing whatever you need to do physically or mentally or spiritually to surrender yourself and submit yourself to that one. That's worship. And so these very wealthy and powerful men, They they had traveled all this way, and now all of a sudden, they find themselves in the presence of a baby, this this little baby who who has no, absolutely no physical power at all. But because of who they believe this baby to be, they just can't help it. Their response is they drop to their knees, and Matthew says they worship. And as they're worshiping, I mean, here they are. They, they, they've heard about the king, the king of the Jews that has been born. And so these powerful men, they come, they fall to their knees, and their response is they worship. And five miles away, Herod has a totally different response. Herod's freaking out. 
He wants to know, you know, has anybody seen those guys that came by? Has anybody seen them? Have they traveled back this way? In fact, I want you to stand out at the door and tell me as soon as you see those guys, you know, he is so worried about controlling things. His whole life has been built around preserve, protect, and control. Preserve, protect, and control. And he's going to make sure that he does that now. I mean, he, in his mind, I have made my own way, he thinks. I've done this. I have built my kingdom. I have created my own legacy. And the last thing he's about to do is to bow his knee to anybody. He's not about to worship anyone. And and, and folks, listen to this this morning. This is why I say... As much as I hate to admit it, that, that I'm afraid that there is a little bit of Herod in all of us. Because for all of us, you know, we, 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 we don't mind leveraging God as long as God's going to help us build our own kingdom. And we're fine with leveraging God as long as it benefits us. You know, I mean, I mean we'll, we'll go to church and we'll even read the Bible once in a while. And, and, and we don't mind saying a prayer once in a while. As long as in the end, it helps me. As long as, as all of those things, you know, going to church, reading my Bible, singing a few songs, saying a couple of prayers. As long as those things help facilitate and secure my future. If they do that, then I'm all for it. But, but this whole idea of just, just kind of writing God a blank check with my life, the, the whole idea of, of worship, of just totally surrendering all that I am, of saying, you know what, God, the, the answer is yes, no matter what the question is. The answer is yes, no matter what you ask of me. You know, that doesn't come as naturally as building my kingdom. Because there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Well, Matthew goes on. He he says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the Magi, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, man, man, aren't you glad that God talks to us? I mean, he still does that. You know that, right? And so this is what God is doing. He is talking to the Magi. He's talking to Joseph. And so he talks to Joseph through this dream. And he says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there. He says, stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so... Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and they left for Egypt. Jump down to verse 16. Matthew says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And remember, when Herod Herod gets furious, man, people suffer. And so, you know, when Herod gets furious, people die. And, uh, you know, again, he, he had spent his entire life controlling outcomes, no, no matter what had happened, he had always been able to figure out. He'd always been able to scheme his way. He'd always been able to control the outcome. You know, even when he had been in the wrong, even when he had bet on the wrong leader of Rome, he, you know, he, he, was, he was smart enough, he was bold enough, he was crafty enough to figure his way out. And so, you know, Herod, he's the master of controlling his outcomes. And so now, in his mind, there, there, there is no way that he is going to be outsmarted by a toddler, by a toddler king. And so he winds up giving these orders to his soldiers that, that honestly, I can't even imagine following through on until I understand what kind of man Herod was. He gave these orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so Matthew says that's what they did. On one horrible morning or one horrible afternoon or one horrible evening, 
Herod's soldiers rolled into the little tiny town of Bethlehem and they went to every single house and they went to every single hut and they pulled out every single little boy that looked like he could be of that age. And then they murdered him in front of his family. And, and anyone who got in the way, they murdered them too. And so it, it was this horrendous, terrible event that happened in, in a period of the history for the Jewish people. It was one that the prophet Jeremiah prophesied when he said that a voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Well, the story doesn't end there. Historians tell us that Herod dies probably that same year. But before he dies, Herod knows that he's going to die. And, and down deep inside, he realizes that his legacy is slipping away. And, 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 and he, he gives this command. He says, I want you to round up all of the wealthy, influential, distinguished men in Jerusalem. And I want you to round them up, and I want you to put them all in prison. And he says, in the hour that I die, I want you to execute all of these men so that someone will be mourning on the day that I die. He actually did that. And he did it because he knew that when he died... Instead of mourning because Herod the Great, Herod the King of the Jews has died, instead of mourning that there would be a party to beat all parties in the streets of Jerusalem. Matthew says that after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said once again, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. You know, as I read this story, I think it's interesting the way that history can just kind of take a twist. Because you see, the, 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 in the end, you know, Herod had worked his whole life to build this legacy, to establish control. And in the end, the legacy that Herod left was nothing even close to the legacy that he thought he was leaving behind. At one time, Herod was known as Herod the Great. Herod, the king of the Jews, Herod the Great. But in this incredible twist of fate, Herod the Great became nothing but a footnote in the story of Jesus, the toddler king. And now 2,000 years later, Whenever anybody talks about Herod, whether they do it in settings like this, in rows or in circles as small groups, and whenever we talk about Herod, typically we don't talk about all of the wonderful things that he built, although he built many wonderful things. We don't talk about the seaport. We don't talk about the aqueducts. In most circles, most of the time, Herod is no longer known as Herod the Builder, but instead he's known as Herod the Butcher. And what I think is the saddest thing of all, and this just blows me away, is that Herod was just five miles away. Five miles away from the one who came to die for him. He was just five miles away from the place where God showed up. But because he was so caught up in his own agenda, he missed the fact that God had come. And so now, we're going to jump forward about 80 years. 80 years have passed since Herod's death. And Jesus, he's grown up to be a man, and he's performed all these miracles. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to be with the Father. And it's 80 years later. Caesar's long gone, Tiberius is gone, Nero is gone. The, the temple that Herod had built has been completely destroyed. All, all of his work, all of those years that he spent so much of his life developing, it's all gone. Eighty years later, and now John the Apostle writes these words. And remember, we talked about this last week. 
This is the same John who saw every miracle. This is the same John who watched Jesus die. This is the same John who peered into an empty tomb, who saw a resurrected Savior. And now he's an old man himself, and he's looking back on all of his experience, everything that he's seen, and he decides to sit down and just summarize the whole thing. And here's what he says. He says this, in speaking of this little baby that was born, he says, in him, in this little baby of Bethlehem who grew to be a man, in him, this is past tense, in him was life. And that life was, again, past tense, that life was the light of all mankind. John pauses for a moment, and then he moves past the past tense. He, you know, this is what I've seen, this is what I've experienced, and all of a sudden he moves from there into the present tense, and he does this in order to send you a message and to send me a message. He says he, he was the light and life of all mankind, and the light, now we're in the present tense, and now the light shines. Right now it shines in the darkness, and he says the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not swallowed it up. That the darkness has not blown it out. And so, and so Herod's story, when you look at Herod's story in contrast to the Magi's story, it brings us to this one question, and this is the question, by the way. It's the question that each of us have to answer, and that is this. What will our story be in relationship to the light of the world? What, what will your story be in relationship to the light of the world? Will it be like Herod's story, uh, be a story of resistance? Will your story be one that revolves around your advancement, your agenda, your kingdom, your right to rule your own life? Or will you take your cue from the wise men and will your story be a story of worship? Will it, will it be a story like Herod's in that you just, you know, you just, you just clung so tightly to all of the things that eventually you're going to have to give up anyway? Or will it be a story where you surrendered everything because you realized that none of it was yours to begin with? Here, here, here's the thing. Someday, somebody's going to tell your story in relationship to the light of the world. And the question that each of us have the opportunity to answer right now is what story do we want them to tell? Here's the thing. And I don't want to invite the band to come and, and, and we're going to close things out. But, you know, you know, as they do, here's the thing. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe, you know, God has just kind of prompted your heart that it's time to start a new chapter in the story of your life. <laughs> and, and that new chapter for you, maybe it begins with surrendering your life to Jesus, or maybe it begins with recommitting your life to Jesus, that you had done that at one time, but you just kind of, you know, circumstances and life happened and the darkness began to surround you and you just kind of threw all that Jesus stuff aside. And, and so maybe, maybe... The, the new chapter of your life begins with recommitting your life to Jesus. Here's the good news. You can do that this morning. In fact, there's no better time than to do that right now. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And, and if God has been tugging at your heart this morning, I want to encourage you just to pray along with me. Father, this morning you know each and every one of us. You know, everything that we've ever done, you know, all of our faults, you know, all of our failures. And I'm so thankful this morning that even, even knowing all that, that you love us anyway. And this morning, I, I just believe that there's somebody here that you're inviting into your kingdom, into your family. 
And, and here's what I want to do this morning. If, if that is you, you know, if you're just feeling kind of tug on your heart, then, then what I want to do is I just want to invite you to silently repeat this prayer after me. You can just pray this in the quietness of your heart. Just pray this, dear Jesus, I confess that I have sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I've gotten wrapped up in building my kingdom and carving out my place in this world. This morning, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. I want to commit my life to you. I'm, I'm just kind of giving my life to you like a blank check. And you can do whatever you want with it. I'm just confessing this morning that I'm not my own now. I'm taking off my crown and I'm laying it at your feet. And I'm asking you to be the king of my life. I don't want to call the shots anymore. I want you and you alone to be in control. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, in your program, there's a little card that, that looks like, uh, like this. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, I, I just want to invite you. I want everybody to pull the card out. And I'm going to ask everybody to just fill this, this card out this morning. And if you prayed that prayer on the back side, uh, there's a little box that says, today I invited Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just mark that box? All right, I'm going to ask the ushers here in just a few moments to come again, and we're going to collect these. Um, in fact, you can grab the buckets and we'll collect them that way and pass them just the way we do the offering. But um, uh, we, we, we'd love to just have record that you made that decision today. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to come alongside of you. And then when you leave this morning out by, on the table that's in front of the sound booth, there's a little devotional book there called My First 30 Days. And we just want to make that your gift this morning. If you prayed that prayer, grab one of those and take it. It'll help you as you begin this new chapter of your life. And then there's, there's also a little box on there that, you know, if you have made that decision, if you've invited Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, but you've never taken that next step and been baptized, I want to encourage you this morning, don't wait, do it. And so after the first of the year, we're going to have a baptism service. And so I invite you, just, just check that box and say, hey, I'd like to learn more about taking the next step of baptism. And so I plan to attend this little short class. Or, you know, if you've, you've always wondered what it would be like to, to lock arms with Connecting Point and just be, become a member of the church, there's a box that you can check there as well. And we just invite you uh, to, to fill those out and the ushers will come and collect those in just a moment. But, but I want to do one more thing before we close. I, I'm, I'm guessing this morning that, that there is somebody, more than likely a number of somebodies, who, who maybe, you know, you've been, you've been following Jesus for a while, and if the truth were to be known somewhere along the line, it's all, it's all just kind of become familiar. You know, I mean, even though you're faithful and, 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 you know, even though you're here every Sunday, there, there are some here this morning that if the truth were to be known, you know, you've just kind of lost that sense of awe, that sense of wonder of being in the presence of the king. You know, the magi, they got it right. And so here's, here's what I want to do in following their lead. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I want us, we're going to close out with a song this morning. Because I don't, I, I don't want to leave you without the opportunity to respond in some way to Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to just respond in the same way that the Magi responded. You see, the reason that they got it right was because they understood that when you are in the presence of holiness, when you're, when you're in the presence of the light of the world, 
the only appropriate response is worship. So here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you, first of all, to just listen. The ushers are going to come and collect the Connect cards, and as they do, just, just listen. I mean, really, really listen to the words of this song. And then here's what I want to encourage you to do, is after you've listened, then take these words that we're going to sing eventually together and make them yours. Make, make them your words. And during this time, we're going to sing together, but let's not just sing. Let's, let's worship, however that looks for you. Let's engage. Let's actually do what we're singing about. Lord, here I am. I present myself to you for one thing and one thing alone, and that is to worship you. And so ushers, come, and Dustin, would you lead us this morning? Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see Beauty that made this heart adore you Hope of a life spent with you Here I am to
just lift your voices. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together Father, we bow right now in our hearts as you sit in your rightful place on the throne. We come before you kneeling like the wise men did, bowing before the true king. There is none like you, Jesus. So may our lives reflect an attitude of worship. Not just a song that we sing, but in the decisions that we make and in the way that we go about our lives, God, may it be a continual expression of our worship to you that we would operate with a spirit of reverence, of submission, as you reign. May you be the king of our hearts this morning. We love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen, amen. Be blessed as you go. We'll see you next week.